Welcome to Kaleidoscope, a new podcast and a new twist on innovation. Through this podcast series, we explore collaboration as the main driver of innovation. I'm Alistair Cameron, co-founder of Starticus, and joining me to co-host is Krishma Kasurka of podcast Small Town Big Dreams. Kaleidoscope is a three-part Starticus podcast series in partnership with Elmarks, the innovation specialist and early-stage investor. Elmarks bridges the gap between corporates looking to innovate and startups looking to scale. Through its innovation labs, Elmarks helps both large organisations, for example BMW Group, British Airways and Lloyds of London, and young companies first imagine the future of their businesses and then move towards it. Since 2014, Elmark's collaborative innovation programmes have not only enabled more than 40 corporates to innovate, but also helped over 170 startups gain a foothold into a range of markets. Collaboration between startups and corporates can be a winning formula for both parties, but only if approached in the right way. And that's why we've made Kaleidoscope. We're here to share a different story, one about innovation as collaboration. Specifically, a story about startup corporate collaboration. Spoiler alert, it can end happily, if you do it right, of course. Part three, one startup, three sectors. In part three, we welcome Emma Marshall of Elmarks and Jerome Flint of startup eBot7. Jerome's company has taken part in a number of accelerator programs, joining forces with corporates from a wide range of sectors. He tells us how these collaborations have moved the business forward and enabled it to manoeuvre in new directions, highlighting the importance of pinpointing the relevant challenge to tackle in each of these situations. As Elmark's programme manager, Emma Marshall has worked with a wide range of startups, including eBot7 through innovation programmes including iLabX with Volvo Financial Services and United Utilities Innovation Lab. Emma draws on her experience watching startups develop their ideas over the course of an innovation programme, sharing her views about how startups can successfully navigate the period of collaboration to optimise results. Okay guys, thanks for joining us. Um, can we just start with some introductions? So Emma, can you just explain a wee bit about your role with Elmarks? Yeah, so um, my role as, um, as programme manager is to basically oversee the the whole program for, from its inception all the way through to demo day. So practically speaking, that's the, the key part of that is the, the stakeholder management both from the corporate side of things and then also the startup side of things and also just being there as a general unblocker. Um, you know, changing the way of working can present its own challenges and sort of my key role is to just ensure that everyone kind of meets in the middle and I help knock down walls if there's any walls there. <laughs> I, love the, I love the term unblocker. It sounds, it sounds like that should be everybody's job, to be fair. But yeah. um, obviously, so you're the, you're the middle person that kind of makes sure that best practice and communication is in, in the, going in the same wavelengths. Would that be fair? Yeah, exactly. Just making sure everyone's on the same page. Um, everyone's clear about what each, if you think about it, two parties, the corporate side and the startup side, making sure everyone's clear as to what each wants to achieve and making sure there's that exchange there as well um and you know it's not just a one-sided corporate taken from the startup or the startup taken from a corporate fantastic so jerome obviously if you want to do a wee introduction as well absolutely um i think from a startup point of view it's a little difficult as our job descriptions are slightly more fluid we kind of have to do everything 
But in essence, if you like, um, I manage the commercial team and my role is really to help drive international expansion. Okay, well, I think that's as clear as we could get it from a startup. Obviously, at least you know your job role in that sense. I think a lot of startups could be, obviously, I'm sure you do a lot outside of that, but at least you've got a clear proposition with what you're doing as well. So, um, Emma, I just want to start by um, getting you to explain what, in a practical sense, does corporate innov- what does a corporate innovation program actually look like in reality? Um, so, kind of in respect to the LMARX programs, um, a lot of our offering is around actual innovation labs. Uh, and what that looks like is a 10 to 12 week period where startups come into a corporate organization, address their key challenges, um, and co collaborate with the corporate. Um, so, from the startup point of view, it's coming into an organization, really learning the pain points and how they can help. Um, you know, implement their solution or shape their solution to solve the challenges that a corporate has. Um, usually that's in the form of trials and pilots throughout a program. And, and the goal is that during that, you know, 10 week, 12 week period, that there's enough results gained from the corporate side to either enter into a commercial relationship with a startup, potential investment, or at least continue trials. And from the corporate side, it's obviously engaging with young agile companies who can come in have a completely different spin on ways of working and how to address a problem and just be dynamic which um, in large organizations large corporates uh, that's obviously quite challenging at, at points because there's so much historical embedded business as usual ways of working that's quite hard to break free of absolutely well just just as a quick interest point here what's what's the general success rate in terms of from startups that start a 10 to 12 week program and then go on to either form a relationship with that corporate or gain some kind of follow-on investment? Uh, for the LMARX programs, our success rates are between like the 65 to 70% mark, I would say. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, we have people that have the ongoing relationship that's a bit less formal as well. So um, I think that usually makes up about 10 to 15%. Um, so because we build such a rigorous process from understanding what the corporate's looking for and then through the application, screening, pitch days, um, you know, when we get into teams that are coming into a lab environment, um, it's very much the right teams coming in, which is obviously key for success. Sure. So you've basically done the shortlisting before the point of entry so that the success level is obviously going to be a lot easier because you've already clarified that these are startups that have the potential to be investable anyway or have the potential to scale. Exactly. And then on the flip side of that as well, it's also the corporate being able to support the teams during the lab because, you know, there may be a startup that is absolutely amazing and, you know, ticks lots of boxes, but if the corporate can't support them in that 10 or 12-week period, there's not really any point in progressing with them in that environment. Um, You know, nobody's going to, be a winner in, in that scenario yeah and so just before i pass over to karishma i'm just going to ask you if you could list from your perspective when you're speaking to a, a, a client um what are the, the key benefits of collaborative innovation um so one of them and this is maybe like a personal thing for me but there's that potential for culture change um, allowing people to think about things differently work in a different way um, also involving a lot of your stakeholders within the corporate organization to be involved in in testing and implementing innovation, which doesn't always happen. You know, a lot of times it's very much a top-down approach. Um, there's also that sense of, you know, just learning market intelligence as well, what's actually out there in the world that isn't your other 
big corporates you tend to work with because there's a sense of reliability. You've already worked with them before. There's there's not so much risk. Um, yeah, and I think it's you know part of it as well is you have the opportunity to help shape a product that suits you as well. Um, so it's not just a buy off the shelf. And, you know, you actually have a say in, in how things can can be tweaked and adapted to to work for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And just really quickly, lastly on that, obviously in terms of rapport, is it easy to to bridge that gap? I suppose Jerome, you probably best off answer that because you're from the startup perspective. But when when you're going into or you've been on a number of Elmark programs, which we'll go on to explain, um, how easy is it to build that rapport with the corporate? Are they on the same level as you? So I think that really ties in then to kind of the expectation management done by LMARCs. Um, Generally speaking, the experiences that we've had is, yes, they are very keen to innovate. And I think kind of one of the issues here is a lot of corporates, they feel that, okay, we need to have an innovation department. But for a lot of them, it's just really, um, you know, uh, more lip service. But yeah, with LMARCs, um, we've, we've had the experience that they're really keen. We've had great access. And uh, it's really worked very well. So, yeah, I would say we've definitely been on the same page. So, Emma, how difficult is it for everyone within a corporate to buy in for the culture of change and the need for innovation? Because sometimes it can be quite challenging to get corporates to work in a totally different way. Are there any steps or any sort of um, ways in which you get them to do this before you even start that relationship with a startup? Yeah, 100%. Um, So I think... You know, naturally, I think we're, we're all creatures of habit to an extent. So, um, you know, getting people to think about things differently um, can be quite challenging. I think if you look at the way our programs are structured in particular, before the, the engagement with the startup happens, there's probably been at least six months work prior to that. Um, and that starts with an engagement with the key stakeholders and management and organization. So you need to have their buy-in first to then be able to have a bit of a drop-down approach. Um, and it's all about communication. If you can communicate the benefits to people and articulate those so um, people don't feel threatened, because I think that's, you know, we, we see a lot of AIs taking over the world in particular, and your job's going to be taken over by a robot. But it's about you know, communicating that these innovations are there to help. They're not there to take jobs, not there to hinder. Um, so it's all about communicating what works best for them and how they're going to benefit. And then that kind of opens the door and um, for them being more receptive, I think. Yeah, having those conversations early and discussing that with them. Exactly, yeah. And I think by getting the buy-in from as much of the organization as possible, as early as possible, is like paramount. Um, so we see that a lot, particularly our pitch days, where a wider um, audience from the organization is in attendance so they can, they can actually see the startups who they could potentially be working with. Um, and then that early buy-in, you know, just helps the progress that startups can make in the corporates when it comes to lab life because there's already an understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing this. Yeah, that makes sense. To be fair, within any organisation, there's a few robots anyway, whether they're AI or not. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, you're always going to have that opposition, aren't you? So, um, Jerome, I want to, obviously, for you to start from the beginning, really, I want you to explain what eBot7 does, which is the startup that you work for and, and who it's for, really. Absolutely. And then perhaps uh, I just jump in on uh, that conversation you were having with Emma, because it's extremely interesting and pertinent. So um, we are a software as a service startup that uses artificial intelligence and natural language processing 
to help corporates better engage and manage their digital customer service experience. Now, the reason we do that is twofold. So customer service, I feel it's kind of, you know, essential to any to the long term success of any corporate. And it's really what sets apart the leaders um, from the rest. But unfortunately, it's very expensive and difficult to scale and therefore is often one of the first things that's outsourced. And we believe that's kind of a missed opportunity. Um, and this is also because, of course, you know, it costs a lot of money to do it internally, to have your own teams locally based. Um, but that along with the fact that the way we communicate is just significantly changing. So whereas in the past, everyone would have a landline, no millennial has one anymore. People are using texting and messaging all the time now to communicate. So it's really how can we help the corporates to be where their customers are? Um, yeah, the company uh, was founded in 2016. Um, and we've grown then to over 35. And uh, yeah, we're, uh, um, we're yeah, making the most, let's say, of programs such as LMARCs to help, uh, to help us expand further. Um, tying into then your conversation with Emma, absolutely. So it's really this communication and also the educational part, because there is a lot of fear of change and misunderstanding of what AI actually does. And I think most people don't realize, but we interact with uh, with artificial intelligence all the time. And um, for us, the philosophy is really how can we take this technology and use it to empower rather than replace? What we want to do is take away sort of repetitive tasks, because let's be fair, there are certain aspects to our jobs, and I'm sure to all of our jobs, that we wish we could automate. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to allow then individuals to better add value and to leverage let's say, their own skill sets, emotional intelligence, creativity, problem solving, etc. I, I, that touches on something that I've read recently, actually, um, which is that um, within the next 10 years, the, the most sought after job skills within the workforce will be innovation and creativity. Um, and that's flying out a stat without actually having the link to send you all. But it certainly is the case that as AI takes over in terms of the, the manual-esque type jobs that we don't really want to do, then it, it will mean that we need free thinkers. Is that obviously what your pitch would be to a, 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 obviously a corporate anyway? Absolutely. But that just ties in really to the education piece. And I think, you know, education policy needs to really follow. Something that's really interesting is um, I was recently in touch with the Minister for Artificial Intelligence of the UAE. So they are the first country on earth to have one. And he made a very interesting point. He was saying that we have ministers for energy, communications, etc. These came about when society did adapt. So when we found fossil fuels, when we developed new forms of communication. And everyone talks about the power of AI, yet governments, uh, generally speaking, you know, pay only lip service to it. And he was asking, why are more governments not getting more involved in it, given its, uh, its potential to change the way we live and work? I love that. I think that's such an awesome thing. Um, we need to do more of that. Obviously, imagine, obviously, Karishma, from, from our perspective, being based in Northern Ireland, we have a minister for AI. <laughs> that would just be, it'd be incredible. Um, and even if, even, if it, even if, as a starting point, it's a little bit of a headline, it's obviously signposting somewhere as being innovative. Absolutely. And just an intention to engage with this technology and its potential. Because I think, you know, it does also have to be managed artificial intelligence, you know, it basically is just like anything. It's a reflection of those who use it. So it can be used for good, but it can be used for bad. And that's why I think, you know, there does need to be this kind of more hands-on engagement and managed approach. 
Absolutely. With great power comes great responsibility. Is that right? Um, so, Jerome, um, I was just going to ask you a bit more about your involvement with the Elmarx program and how that came about. Were you part of any other programs or, and how did you actually hear about Elmarx as well? So, funny story, it actually came around by accident. Um, so, we are definitely aware that, you know, when it comes to B2B sales, it, it's quite a difficult approach and obviously leveraging any uh, outside help or resources that are available is definitely something that we like to do. Um, and so we were having a look and we came across uh, one of their labs for Skybet. And um, yeah, so that's that's how we first got in touch with Elmarx. The experience was fantastic. And um, yeah, we uh, we have been very actively engaged with them ever since. Um, so it's been a long lasting relationship since you started working with them. Absolutely. And fruitful as well, I would say, uh, hopefully for both sides. I, I, mean, I can think of a few reasons why a startup might have a barrier to going on to a corporate innovation program. But Jerome, from your experience or from your understanding of the startup culture, what, what mindset barriers do you think are there for startups not to even consider going on a corporate program in the first place? So I think the main one is really just, uh, you know, this aspect of controlling the conversation. If you have third parties involved between you and the corporate, you know, this takes certain aspects out of our hands. And so I think there it's just about building that element of trust and that relationship. So for us, having this long-term relationship with Elmarx, we really um, yeah, trust them and, uh, and the quality of the work that they put in. So for us, that's really not a barrier anymore. But I would say probably that's initially, uh, uh, for startups, what might create a hurdle. Emma, Emma let, let's, let's turn to you on this as well. I mean, from an external perspective, I'm, I'm assuming, and this might not be the case at all, that some startups are fearful of IP or protecting idea. Would that be something that ever comes up in conversation? Yeah, it's actually quite a, a common theme. Obviously, um, you know, IP is paramount to, to any organization, but particularly a startup and, you know, that's a potential um, or a perceived risk um, when, when coming into this sort of um, environment. So from the LMAP's point of view, you know, we try and create agreements that cover both parties um, and just make sure that everyone understands, you know, clearly what what is protected um, and what is up for debate um, in terms of, you know, if there was anything, any IP co-created in, in a lab environment. But again, it comes back to that conversation piece about being really clear in in our agreements and with our conversations with both, both parties and having an open, honest discussion. So, you know, anyone who has any issues with our agreements or, you know, feels a bit uncomfortable, that's always up for negotiation and, you know, a bit of a back and forth conversation. And the majority of the time, well, in my, certainly in my experience, um, the corporates aren't engaging with startups to, you know, steal any IP or um, kind of try and take ownership of it. It's very much wanting to utilize them and their expertise rather than sort of take. So I think that's where that exchange part comes in that I, I mentioned earlier, you know, isn't just a take, take from one side. Um, the idea is that our programs we create an exchange. Perhaps just to jump in, you know, this is really something that one would have uh, in a, either in a lab context or without. So this question around IP is really, uh, I would say, not specific to this field. But of course, uh, the fact that Elmark's approach it head on is, is really kind of very valuable to have that conversation up front. Um, but I wouldn't say it's specifically a challenge that we would have uh, working with corporate partners um, such as Elmar. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great point actually. Um, 
it's one that so this is an educational point in itself but like you mentioned there's always fear out there within the startup sector that someone's going to take an idea but it's really not the idea that they they would ever take because everyone's got ideas the, the the involvement of chatbots obviously to help support customer service is not new, but it's the technology that I'm assuming that you've got your own behind your product that makes the innovation. Absolutely. And it's the fact that we built it internally. So it's it's completely proprietary, our technology, as opposed to just acting as an interface between the corporate and third party neural networks. It's very difficult and time consuming to develop them and expensive as well. And so obviously for us, you know, there is a risk involved, which is why this is such a key issue. Mm-hmm. Just touching on that from the corporate point of view as well, you know, the majority of times people are wanting to engage with startups to make life easy for themselves and by trying to, you know, utilize IP or replicate in their own environment actually creates more work and more cost and more resource use. So it, it doesn't really make sense for them to try and do that. And if they do, that, you know, like Jerome said, they've built theirs internally, they're going to fail ultimately because they don't have that knowledge and experience of doing that. So you can utilize someone else's resources as well as that relationship as well that you're you're building as well. Exactly, yes. Um, so I was going to ask both of you, what do you think are some of the ingredients that make a corporate innovation program successful? Um, thinking about it in both the startup and corporate perspective, maybe to Emma, first of all. Um, so certainly from the, uh, from the, the corporate side, uh, engagement is, is essential. Um, the startups coming into to our programs, they need support. They need support from, you know, we have sponsors allocated to, to teams um, and we create what we call innovation teams around um, each startup to provide that support. If they don't have that engagement and that support, then it's just a, it could turn into a nightmare to try and navigate the internal workings and barriers. So you need that engagement um, to get results. And I guess from the startup point of view, you know, just an openness, um, an openness to have conversation and collaborate. And I guess, um, you know, we talked about the risks before, but to kind of be comfortable with those risks um, to allow that openness for collaboration. Yeah. And then Jerome, what do you think in terms of being a startup on an innovation program? What helps it um, make you a more successful startup or be of the most use to you? Well, I would like to build maybe upon what Emma was saying. So I think really the advantage is about the managing expectations because the challenge always for a startup working with a larger corporate is we're coming from two very different sides of uh, you know of the approach here. So while we're keen to move quickly, kind of take risk, iterate, corporates are much more risk averse and uh, they're looking really to take a calculated, steady approach forward. Um, and generally there are multiple layers of approval that one needs to go through. Um, so it can be generally time quite time consuming. And so I think having a lab with a predetermined time frame on it, you know, really does help both sides then to come together and say, okay, let's be specific. What can we deliver during this time frame? And uh, as Emma was saying, get that engagement. So I think the key is really, if the corporate is actually looking to innovate or not, A and B, that they understand, you know, the difference in working relationship. And uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of really the key to, to having a successful program. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna really quickly interject there as well and say from my external perspective, like looking looking at LMARX and obviously some of the corporate innovation programs external to to LMARX as well. What you do find is that immediately, if your product is business to consumer, for example, 
you have an immediate big customer base to test something with, which as a startup, unless you've done an amazing job, you're not going to have that customer base. So that, from my perspective, would be something that I would be looking as a startup, thinking if I'm selling to a consumer, this is what the, the corporate will have. Is that a fair point as well, Emma? Yeah, I think completely. Um, and kind of touching upon a previous experience I had, um, I worked on an accelerator program where we would create, and it's not, this is outside of LMAX before I joined, um, it was within a museum environment, it was creating new museum experiences. And the startups in that program, they got to test with, you know, a huge number of, of people coming through that, that door. It was the National Museum, so a vast audience and of all different nationalities. So you're hitting so many different demographics as well to test on. Um, and then that's kind of followed through in the, the work that we're doing as well. That market validation is a huge piece, as well as sort of utilising the corporate's subject matter experts internally, just being able to validate a product and a solution um, is obviously a huge benefit and, you know, can help with traction, which can help with investment and future sales. So, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. And the, the flip, I want to I touch, obviously, because this isn't, um, it's not always about success. So, J- Jerome, has there been anything that you've had your experience of or know of other startups where that success hasn't been so fruitful or anything that maybe you could pass on obviously to those working in corporate innovation which would help in terms of feedback to them well so i think there are two parts to this first of all it's it's kind of just changing the mind frame around you know what failure is because you know there's that expression you know fa- failure is just an early attempt at success um and i think you know that's also this real difference in kind of startups and corporate mind frame making mistakes is okay as long as one learns from them and kind of you know you find out then, okay, this doesn't work. What can we do next? So it's being quick to iterate, um, to test hypotheses and to grow from that. But I think perhaps, you know, the key thing here is to outline upfront what hurdles they may be. So obviously from a corporate point of view, you know, access to, uh, you know, let's say the IT, uh, data, et cetera, this could potentially cause delays in a program. So I think at the start of any, uh, any lab, you know, it's really important to identify what could be the hurdles that would have an impact, you know, and how can we mitigate that up front? Um, and I think, you know, if you do your planning beforehand, um, yeah, you can really save yourself a lot of time. So leading on from that very quickly then, um, you've been able to shift and tailor your, your product, which is B2B, if I'm, I'm right, um, yeah. to, uh, to three LMAX programs. Is that, is that right? Yes. So how, how have you been able to do that on each occasion and, and how has the corporate differed on each occasion as well? Well, so I think there are a few things here. So first of all, you know, um, a lot of what we do during any lab is really listening um, to the corporate and learning about, you know, what works well for them, what do they do, um, how do they do it? And, you know, then also what doesn't work well. And based on that, understanding where the opportunities are for improvement Um and so from there, then we can come forward with the use case. So because our technology is kind of vertical agnostic, we really work on empowering people through uh, improving communication. Uh, we can have use cases that are internal, whether it's um, human resources, IT help desks, et cetera, to external use cases where it's, you know, trying to help them manage their customer service or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it could be it could re- really be anything in retail, uh, insurance and so on. So because we have this flexibility, the key challenge is really understanding what is it 
that they would like us to do during this time frame? Where is it that we can really have an impact? Where is it that we can really bring value? Um, so I would say rather than the challenge of adapting to, you know, offer them the right solution, it's rather pinpointing the right challenge and finding out really what we're trying to do and being specific up front because we can do so much. Yeah, and I think um, certainly for, for Jerome um, and Ebot7, they have a solution that can fit in not only in so many different industries, but within an organization, it's so many different departments um, that can prove fruitful for whether that's an internal facing um, program or an external facing one. So I think Jerome's completely right in that respect. You know, it's finding the right sort of area to focus on. Absolutely. And I think it's great that you also mentioned it sometimes asking what the right question or what that problem is before you actually embark on developing something. So that is key because, you know, this is really a two-way relationship. And I think it's important that, you know, the balance is maintained. It's a, you know, the corporate comes with incredible resources and it can offer incredible benefits to the startup. So I think, you know, for the startup, it's also not to take this presumptuous approach that they know better. It's really rather, you know, a matching of resources and kind of, uh, yeah, technology or know-how and experience or new ideas, innovation, let's say, and bringing those together to kind of really drive forward a result. So, yeah, working together uh, is, is really just the key in listening. So, Emma, you work with a wide range of startups. Um, how often do you find that startups develop and even pivot their ideas during the course of these programs? Um, do they usually find it quite challenging or are startups quite agile and quick to, to do this kind of thing? Um, in my experience with LMARG's programs, I've not had many where they have like pivoted their, their product or solution. I've had a couple where they've pivoted their business model. Um, and I think, you know, the challenges around that is, you know, them come to a conclusion that it's actually a right decision for them and not feeling pressurized to do it to suit one potential customer, which is the corporate that they're working with. Um, I have had it in just jumping back to the experience I had with the, um, the museum one where there was a company and they pivoted so many times, they just ended up doing a full circle. Um, so, and obviously that's a negative, you know, whilst they're trying to tailor a solution to suit a certain market, they end up losing sight of themselves and, and what they're there for. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Sorry, I didn't really answer your question as such, but I haven't had too much experience of actual pivots within our companies. Again, I think it's down to that rigorous process that we have of, of getting the teams in and meeting those teams that pitched in. Um, you know, they kind of have a clear understanding of, of what they're, what they're about. Yeah, they're perhaps joining you at that stage when they already have developed their idea to a stage where they're likely to develop it rather than pivot it. Yeah, exactly. And I think if anything, it's just about further development rather than you know completely pivoting um, their solution or their direction. So uh, rather than then the pivot, how often do you find that a startup team or a founder is so stubborn that they're not willing to meet halfway with the, with the corporate in terms of obviously their understanding of what the, what's being built here? Um, in, I would say in like four LMAX programs that I've, I've been on, that's happened to me once. Um, and that kind of, that stubbornness is then where, you know, the LMAX role kind of becomes paramount because then that stubbornness can just lead to the breaking down of the relationship between the startup and the corporate. So it's about having an honest communication with the startup, which the corporate might not feel comfortable doing, but that's kind of where we come in as that middleman. Um, and no, just laying it out that if you want to exceed with this customer, and it might be that they don't, and that's fine, but 
you know, you kind of have to have to be a bit more open and not just be stubborn, which I think sometimes it comes down to, um, particularly with founders, because they're so precious. You know, the fact that it has only happened once is really testament to uh, the, the work that L Marks put in beforehand and really selecting the right one. I think fundamentally it boils down to then, you know, kind of relationships. Um. I was just going to say, and I guess that just mirrors kind of any working relationship. It doesn't have to be in a, a you know, a corporate startup accelerator program. You're always going to get people who who think they're right. And then that leads to a little bit of friction um, between different parties. I don't think that's just something specific to our industry and what we work in. But yeah, only once there's like a clear example that I have in mind where, where that relationship is broken down a little bit and then, you know, we have to improve. So obviously leading on from that then, Jerome, if, have, there been a, have there been any situations where you're, you're worried that the, the, the corporate in that sense is, is moving your product or business away from its core mission? And how have you dealt with that really? No, so we haven't seen that in our experience um, happen. I think it's more that, you know, the corporates are very excited about the potential of what our technology can do. And so it's more about managing that excitement and really just, focusing on one specific use case rather than, you know, kind of saying, okay, this could work in, you know, 10 different areas. Why don't we try and do all of it? So it's just about kind of, yeah, you know, not biting off more than we can chew during a lab. Um, and I think really that's part of it. So we've really not faced any pressure from corporates to, uh, to pivot in any way. Um, so Jerome, um, on that as well, has being on the Elmarks program helped you in terms of working with clients and corporates outside of the innovation programs you've been on? Um, has it helped build those relationships as well? Absolutely. Um, well, I think there are a few things here. So first of all, the real advantage of Elmarks is that they're extremely engaged throughout the whole process. So, you know, on the programs I worked with Emma, you know, it was really a fantastic working relationship. Um, really available, helpful, supportive. And I think that's really kind of the key and why we've been able to have this really successful relationship because that, you know, they really play this role to both sides, the corporates and the startups. And for us, the, the real benefit of the experience that comes out of it is, for example, um, one of the programs we, we were on, we had complete access to the whole executive management team. And, and that's really unheard of. You don't get that as a startup within, yeah. you know, within a large corporate. And that's something that we are getting through this experience with Elmarks that is really kind of giving us, um, you know, something we're, we're able to learn from, let's say. So from each interaction, each time we engage or deal with, you know, senior executives um, at really the highest level and really have their time, you know, where they really invest their time and effort into a program, you know, th that's a fantastic learning for us. Um, and that really does help us. Uh, and it seems to have opened lots of doors then as well in terms of you were saying you had that access to people you might not normally have that direct access with as well. Well, completely. So, I mean, they're always hidden behind gatekeepers and so on. So, um, yeah. and rightly so, you know, they have a lot to do. Um, and this is why, of course, you know, there's a lot of work that goes in before any program. It's really to get that buy-in from the corporate side. Um, but yeah, we've found, you know, that once they do, they're extremely engaged and um, yeah, really tied into the success of the program. And then, you know, those conversations are worthwhile as well because you've already reached that level where they're all connected. Um, I was also going to ask you on a more general level, what is your advice for other startups considering reaching out to corporates? Um, where would they even start? Um, I mean, so I, I can talk here from the B2B point of view. You know, it, it's an extremely challenging space because, um, you know, if you're in B2C, for example, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways you can do to get to engage customers, to reach out to them, et cetera. 
you know, and also the barriers to entry per customer is a lot lower. The risk to that, of course, is that they can easily switch, right? So they can easily switch between their favorite product from one to another because there are many substitutes. With a business, the sales cycles are a lot longer. And so the challenge is really building that relationship, putting in the time, putting in the effort, making sure that you speak to all the right people involved. So, you know, the person with the, or the team with the pain point, the decision makers, the procurers, um, legal, you know, then the tech side. So it's really a very long process. Um, and so here, my advice to startups would be really take advantage of all the help that you can find externally, because trying to go it alone is, uh, yeah, is, is a lot more difficult than it needs to be. There are a lot of resources and tools out there. Um, LMARCs, of course, being a great one. And uh, I would say, yeah, just leverage that. Especially if you should have just said apply to an LMAX program. <laughs> <laughs> <Good> <laughs> that, that was the long and short of it, yes. <laughs> um, anyone, anyone who knows me will know that I love a good analogy. And I've, I've just realized that the role of LMARX or any, and any corporate innovation program outside of that where it's managed by someone else is a little bit like a marriage. And every marriage needs a little bit of work. Um, sometimes you need someone else to step in and to manage that marriage so that it works beautifully. And I think obviously that for me, listening to that conversation, the conversation that we've just had is, is, is that role. You, you counsel those two parties to have best practice and something beautiful to happen from the result of that. Um, if you don't have that person in the middle, then sometimes it can go really badly wrong. So would that be a fair, a, some fair analogy, Emma? I do at times feel like a counselor, I'm not going to lie. No, I think you're right. And I think um, from certainly from my experience with an LMAX, you know, the program managers that we have, I always say, you know, I become heavily invested, emotionally invested in, in the startups that I work with. So um, you're always trying to do your best work for both parties. And yeah, it is at times just being that mediator. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, People can get frustrations within a 10-week program. Sometimes it's just being a sounding board and absorbing that sort of frustration. Um, so in that respect, that's where the counselor bit comes in. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a great analogy to have is like, we, we help the marriage. <laughs> Beautiful. This has been Ask the Cameron with Karishma Kasurka talking all things corporate innovation. Thanks to this episode's guest, production care of Graham Watson and to L Marks, our partners for this series.